This episode of the Disney Film Project is sponsored by touringplans.com. Head over to touringplans.com and use their tools to save yourself time and money when you are at Walt Disney World or Disneyland. You can use the Lines application on your mobile phone, use the Crowd Calendar to figure out which parks to hit which days, or use the Touring Plans to save time and money waiting in line. Touringplans.com is the sponsor of this episode of the Disney Film Project. Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project Podcast. This is the program where we discuss the films of the Walt Disney Company in all their splendor and glory. I'm Ryan Kilpatrick. I am host of the program, and along with my fine feathered friends you will meet momentarily, we run DisneyFilmProject.com, which is a website dedicated to the films of the Walt Disney Company. Joining me, as always, are two of the finest film buffs known to man. First of all, we have Mr. Todd Perlmutter, who is a blogger over at TouringPlans.com and is also Chief Technical Officer at DisneyDrivenLife.com. How are you, Mr. Todd? I'm great today, Ryan. Hanging in there, holding out, etc., etc., so on and so forth. Are you are you like the cat in that in the in that famous poster? You're just hanging on. Um, minus the claws. Ah. Well, maybe just let your nails grow for a while or something. I don't know. Maybe that would work. Sure. It's a cute. It's a cute poster, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Not arguing. Okay. All right. Uh, also joining us this evening is one Brianna Alessio, who is cute in her own right. She doesn't even need to let her nails grow or anything like that. Uh, because she is also an attractions blogger over at DisneyDrivenLife.com. She is also a blogger who talks about her wonderful adventures over at Adventures of Brie at AdventuresofBrie.blogspot.com. How are you this evening, Miss Brianna? I am peachy keen, Mr. Ryan. How are you? Uh, I am also peachy to the keen. That's awesome. There you go. The person who edits all of this wonderfulness together, uh, at least we hope it's wonderfulness, and it usually is by the time she finishes, is one Cheryl Perlmutter, who you can follow her travails over on Twitter, at CherylP3, or you can check her out at about.me slash CherylP3. How are you this evening, Cheryl? I'm doing good. I was a sorcerer today. As opposed to every day? Yes. I went to um, the Magic Kingdom and... And tried the sorcerer's game. Apparently, I've apparently everyone is already jealous of me because I have a blue fairy card. Look at that! I don't know what that means. I'm assuming I will figure that out next time I'm down there. Was it fun? Yeah, it's a lot like the um the midship detective agency. It's a lot like uh, that. Okay, All but right. it seems more interactive than it, than the midship is. So. Okay. I had to go back and spend some more time with it and collect more cards. <laughs> gotcha. Sounds cool. Sounds like fun. So this evening we are normally, as you know, on this show we we go to the dogs. We, we've we've been to Dalmatians, we've been to Chihuahuas. <laughs> we, we we have not yet ventured into the tur- into the uh, scary realm of the buddies. Eventually, but, folks, but, it will happen. They'll, they'll have to they'll have to do it eventually. We're we're putting it off as long as we possibly can. I'm just just throwing it out there. Uh, but this evening, instead, we will go to the cats. To be more specific, the Aristocats. Talking about the 1970 Walt Disney Productions film, starring Ava Gabor and Phil Harris, the 20th animated feature uh, by the Walt Disney Company. That, that talks about well aristocratic cats, um, yes. hence uh, aristocats. You see what they did there? Clever. Yeah. So I know I had a weird question on that for a second. Since we're like, I'm just jumping right in with weird questions. So most of the time, I you see it uh, just like aristocats without the like aristocrats without the R. But sometimes Correct. the C is capitalized. Now, I know the original movie poster, the C looked like it was capitalized, so I'm not sure if that was intent or not. And I couldn't find anything that that said one or the other was correct, so I'm just guessing both are correct. 
Yes, it's it's weird because on you're correct. On the original movie poster, the C is capitalized. When they put out the artwork for Aristocats 2 back in 2005, which never actually came to be, the C was not capitalized. Yes. Inconsistency in marketing from Disney. Not something you would normally expect. It was a direct-to-DVD movie that never happened. What do you expect? Yeah, good point. (laughs) So the the Aristocats... is directed by Wooly Reitherman, one of one of uh, Walt's o- nine old men, and during this time frame back in the seventies, uh, he was kind of the the go to guy for the animated films. He uh, ended up directing quite a few films back in this time frame. So the probably the most famous is the Mini Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. He did uh, all of the shorts that led into that, but you know basically all of the animated films we t- we've already talked about the jungle book and the sword and the stone which were both uh wooly reitherman joints and uh he also did robin hood and the rescuer so that period uh right after walt's death uh was very much the the time where reitherman stood sort of stepped forward and uh started directing these films so interesting to note that uh, if you think about all the films I just mentioned, they share sort of a similar design ethos and um, similar kind of look and feel. So the Aristocats falls right into that tradition of these these late 60s, early to late 70s films that, that Reitherman directed. Uh, it also returns to sort of a favorite time of Disney films. So it's set in Paris, France in 1910, as the, the opening sequence lets us know. And as we've seen in many of the Disney films, this turn-of-the-century Victorian era is is very popular among the Disney films, animated yeah. and live-action. It's one of their it, favorite things to go to. It, it's actually uh, inspired by a true story of a family of Parisian cats that did, in fact, have their money left to them by their owners. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it was at the turn of the century, so hence the 1910 is actually like accurate to the year for that story. Yeah, it's just interesting that so many Disney films take place in that time period. And a lot of them are, you know, like you said, from the source material set in that time frame. It's just, you know, you look at Lady and the Tramp, uh, Mary Poppins, you know, all, all these sorts of, of films that take place in this early, you know, turn-of-the-century time period. Yeah. And there's plenty that I forgot, so... <laughs> The, the basic idea here is just what Todd had mentioned from the from the story. We have the Duchess, uh, who is voiced by Ava Gabor, uh, who is the the female protagonist. She is the the, the cat, uh, the lead cat, I guess. Uh, and her kittens, Marie, Berlioz, and Toulouse, who live with a retired opera singer uh, and her butler Edgar. And so the film opens with them sort of riding on a horse, going home. Uh, Edgar then is uh, assisting Madame's lawyer, Georges, who comes in. He's an aged lawyer, uh, quite hysterical, as he tries to make his way up the stairs. Uh, (laughs) But he is there to set the will for Madame, who uh, decides that she is going to leave her fortune to the kittens. And unfortunately, Edgar overhears this. Uh, through the old-fashioned speaking tubes. If you've ever seen these in uh, in old houses, if you ever do like house tours, uh, like I've been dragged on several of uh, by my lovely and, and talented wife, uh, they, the old old older houses, in, mostly in Europe, but some in the United States, had these uh, tubes that went from the top floor to the bottom floor, so that you could you could speak and somebody down below would be able to hear you. So Edgar overhears through the speaking tube that he would only inherit the fortune after the cats die, and this, of course, cannot stand. That's right. Because, because yeah. he starts to count out their ages, which I like. <laughs> which which shows you that Edgar is yeah. not the sharpest knife in the drawer? Yeah. Because no, he's not. He, yeah. he figured they'd live to be 90 or something like that, right? <laughs> he, he figures that each cat's going to live about 12 years, and that each of them has nine lives. That's what it was, yes. So so Edgar, probably not the best person to do your taxes, is what I'm saying here. No. I would not hire him. No, no. Um, mm. l- l- when watching this, let me get your take. Edgar, the weakest Disney villain I've ever seen? Because he's not really evil. Pretty much. 
he's not evil. He he is he tries to be, but he is very poor at it. Yes. Yeah, he's not good, no. Because because his plan normally his plan has some flaws. Let's let's say that. Because Edgar's plan is to sedate the cats and then take them out into the country to throw them in a creek. Not I, I think the implication is that he's going to drown them, but he never really comes out and says that. Right. But but here's the problem, Edgar. The lady who needs to die for you to inherit this money is still alive at that point. <laughs> yeah, he kind of jumps the gun early. Wait, I have a theory. Uh-oh. Uh, uh-oh. All right, Cheryl theory. I, I think you. I think he thought that if if the cats went away, she would be so upset yeah. that she would thus wither away. And that he thought, well, okay, if I get rid of the cats first, she'll she'll just get destroyed and, and you know give up in life, and I'll have it easy. I, I I don't know if that was his plan, but that was certainly Marie's concern. Uh, not Marie, uh, Duchess's concern, right? Duchess's, yeah. It's it's as plans yeah. go. It's not the best one, but I could see that rationale, considering it is Edgar who can't figure out how long cats live. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a big fail on his part. Yeah, he he's he's kind of full of the fail, really. He he's he not good at being bad. Yeah, I'm gonna agree with what you said. Pretty much the worst Disney villain, but not worse as an evil. Worse as in stupid, incompetent. Pretty much. Because he doesn't get stopped from his evil plan of of drowning the cats by, like, you know, a hero or some crazy, or, you know, anything, you know, heroic that stands in his way. No, instead it's these two hound dogs, Napoleon and Lafayette, which, of course, they have to be named that because they're in the French countryside. Yes. Right. Uh, But Napoleon and Lafayette attack him. Now, my question being... Napoleon and Lafayette, named for French generals, yes, in the French countryside, yes, have southern accents. <laughs> Someone that's, please that's how it rolls in the French countryside. Yeah, that's, they could have been south of Paris. They could have been imported from New Orleans, Louisiana. Yeah, imported. Imported. Right. I like it. <laughs> Then they would have had a Cajun accent. So, but they weren't really plotting to attack him, though. They were plotting to attack and steal the motorcycle. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Which, yeah. yeah. Which was a little weird. Because I'm not sure what dogs do with a motorcycle. I, I again, also not the best planners. No, no, <laughs> not much, not really. You you can tell though that the animators and Wooly Reitherman or somebody like really like these dogs because they get a lot of screen time for people who are really not essential to what's going on here. No, so I think was, I think the dogs are hysterical. They just they just don't fit in to the atmosphere. Uh, agreed. So remember in uh, Fox and the Hound the stuff with the caterpillar. Yes. yes. This is I had the same problem with this. It, it, it's like two completely separate stories are going on in this movie. That yes. have almost yeah. nothing to do with each other. <laughs> I agree. And, and frankly, neither of them are that strong. <laughs> the same. My opinion. But what ends up happening, of course, is the, the, the cats get stranded in the countryside. Edgar runs away, but he, he leaves us several items behind. Uh, but the cats wake up in the countryside and are, you know stranded and need to find their way back to their mistress. I was just saying it rains on their first night to top it all off. Of yes. Course. No fun. And we almost, and and they thought they lost one of the kittens. I was wondering where that was gonna go. Was that was it like the only one wondering where that was gonna go? And why it didn't go that way? Oh what when the, the, when they thought that um uh was lose? it Berlioz? Toulouse 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 was it? And they go, and, and she actually goes out looking for Toulouse, and then luckily he hears her. I was like, okay, where? I was like, I hadn't seen this in a while, so I was like, okay, where is this going again? 
Yeah, there's a lot of that in this. <laughs> there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of sec- sections of the film where it's just kind of like, I wonder if they just wanted to pad it out past 60 minutes. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I, I kind of sort of felt that that was definitely true in the... Um, the before all this happens when they're doing the the, the lessons for the kittens and yes. they're learning and they're learning how to do human things yeah they're learning how to paint and play piano and sing it, yeah i didn't understand that part at all todd you don't understand it that's what kittens do every day when when no one's looking they learn the fine arts exactly absolutely <laughs> I thought everyone knew that. No wonder why cats are all, like, stuck up lying and saying, bring me stuff. Exactly. <laughs> you, you, you didn't realize that Andy Warhol is not actually a human being. It's a cat that paints a human being. Duh. You didn't know that? I, I do now, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I, I do like Cheryl, Cheryl's biggest problem with that scene was she kept going, they get paint all over the piano. They get paint everywhere. <laughs> uh, apparently, Madam does not care. No, apparently not. Mm-mm. She wants sophisticated cats. That's what she's got. That's right. They're Aristocats, Todd. Aristocats. Yeah, hence the title, Todd. All That's right. right. You know, I've been spending a long, a, a long time trying to understand that part, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're not gonna. Just, yeah, just just let it go. It's okay, man. Move on with life. Just, yeah, yeah, there's more important things to do. Sure. Just smile and uh, nod. Smile and nod, that's all. Yeah. yeah. I'm good with that. Okay. Well, so the next morning, back at the Ponderosa, or the Giant Mansion, whichever you prefer, uh, the the horse that they rode in on, uh, I, who I believe is named Fru-Fru, did I catch that correctly? Uh, yes, indeed. Yes, Fru-Fru the horse... And Roquefort, the mouse, who we had seen in the in the earlier scene, um, discovered that the kittens are missing, and of course, Madame is heartbroken. But uh, back in the in in the countryside is where we meet the the other lead of the film, which is Thomas O'Malley. So, who wants to give the whole name? Ooh, ooh me. I knew Ready? it would be tough. Of course, yes. it, it's it's Abraham DeLacy, Giuseppe Casey. Thomas O'Malley. Love it. The, the alley cat. The alley cat. Well, he actually goes O'Malley, then he goes O'Malley, the alley cat. So he actually says yes, his last, last name twice. So we should mention that uh, most of the music in the film is done by the Sherman Brothers, except for the uh, the Everybody Wants to Be a Cat uh, song, which is actually probably the most famous song of the film. But this song that O'Malley sings where he's listing off his name as he walks up to the kittens and, and duchess uh, was a Sherman Brothers song, as were many of the songs throughout this period of Disney history. So yes. we should mention that. And uh, the songs for this are actually quite good. What uh, is everyone's favorite of this of this film? I know Jasper mm. had a favorite. Jasper definitely had a favorite. Um, What's Jasper's uh-oh. favorite? Oh, my gosh. I love the Everybody Wants to Be a Cat song. I was partying down when that song was going on. But you liked Everybody Wants to Be a Cat? It was good music. I think that was my favorite too. What about you, Bree? What was your favorite? Um, actually, it's a tie between Scales and Arpeggios and O'Malley's song. I really love the both of them, so it, it's kind of a toss-up. I don't know if I could choose one. I would actually go with Everybody Wants to Be a Cat as well. I like the Scales and Arpeggios. Yeah. I, I actually like the title song. The title song of uh, Aristocats that, that's seen over the opening credits is sung by Maurice Chevalier. Yes. Who, who the Sherman Brothers pulled out of retirement to, to actually sing this. Yes. I thought that uh, was and it's his, it's his second film with Ava Gabor, in case you didn't know. So I have some weirdness with the album, right? In the U.S., right, if you went to buy this album, you can only get six songs on it, six music okay. pieces. Every other country, like if you go to iTunes, it's got, it's got the same six plus another ten musical pieces. Um, hmm. what ten musical pieces does it have? Yeah, so it's got the six, right? So it's got Aristocats, Scales and Arpeggios, uh, Thomas O'Malley Cat, Everyone Wants to Be a Cat. Then it's got uh, something called Pretty Melody slash My Paris. 
It's got the Cat's Love theme, the Butler Sneak, which is that music that it plays while he's riding, I imagine. Um, okay. Nine Lives, the Goose Steps High. So remember that music that's playing when the goose, when the two geese ladies are walking, right? Yes. Um, the the windmill. There was some music when the so this is just like all the little extra musical pieces that are throughout the thing that are all there. I just thought that was interesting that you can't get those at the U.S. In it, it's not at the U.S. Amazon and it's not at the U.S. iTunes. It's only outside of the country. I also wanted to mention that on the uh, 2008 special edition DVD, Doohickey Yaya, um, Richard Sherman introduced a uh, special uh, number that was removed called Pourquoi. Uh, and this was had Hermione Baddeley, who plays uh, Madame Bonfamille. Did I get all those names right? Wow. She sings for her, her love about the cats, and she's harmonizing with a recording of her own voice that's on the um, on her record player there, which is – I would have – I, I haven't actually seen this, but I was reading about it. I just would love to see this scene at some point in time. Uh, it's just very and – and then her and Marie go back and forth because Marie starts singing Perqua while she's going Porqua. So it's, it must be really cute. Wasn't there a song, too, called um, She Never Felt Alone? Because that was on my DVD that he, he did an introduction of that song. She Never Felt Alone is on the American Six song thing, but on the 16 song thing, it's not there. So see, now you got to buy both, everybody. See, there you go, go do that, people. Go do that. Absolutely. Must do it. Uh, all right, so where were we? Yes, the story. So Marie, Berlioz, and Toulouse are out in the country with, with their mom, Duchess, and Thomas O'Malley comes together and basically tries to it's 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 a very funny and interesting uh little little interaction because O'Malley is of course hitting on Duchess and until he sees the kids which of course he then is uh, a little frightened at that point and tries to run off before the the kids sort of guilt trip him into helping them because he promised them a he promised them a magic carpet ride or he promised their mother rather a magic carpet ride Speaking figuratively, of course, but the kittens were interested in this magic carpet ride, and Thomas then is forced to deliver. So O'Malley uh, decides to, that he will produce the magic carpet, I think at this point still to impress Duchess, although the kids have sort of um, hoodwinked him a little bit. But he scares a wagon truck into stopping right at a spot that he marks an X on the ground, which is a cool trick if you can pull it off, and, and gets the cats on board. Now, originally, he's not going to go with them, but Marie, who is a bit of a troublemaker, uh, falls off the back, and O'Malley has to capture her and bring her back. So they, at that point, the five of them are off to Paris to return to Madame's house. Yeah. And that is, that, that's the rest of the story, right, is them getting back to the house. Um, and we'll talk some more about what happens in each one. But that was kind of my problem at that point, because there's... It's not like there are obstacles to them getting back to Paris. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's nothing really in their way except going. Right. It depends yeah. the countryside and uh, a pond and all that fun stuff. They, they couldn't have right. been that far either, right? Because, right. Be, because uh, Edgar drove them out in a motorcycle and drove back in less than a night. Correct. I mean, there's. It, it's not like they're off in tours, you know, looking at castles. They're just yeah. outside of Paris. <laughs> they right. could have easily hooked it, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and I get what you're saying, Cheryl. Like, there, there is stuff in the way, but, like, there's no, there's no, it's not like the Wizard of Oz, right, where the witch is chasing them through the countryside and trying to stop them. Like, it's just, basically, you have to walk. But it's not an easy walk if you're a cat. <laughs> I've tried it. No, it's not. It's not easy at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to defend the poor cats. That's all I'm trying to do. You're defending the poor cats? <laughs> There's okay. three kittens. I mean, come on. So... so Ryan, the obstacle is what Ryan said, though, is that they're all troublemakers. All five of them are troublemakers. Yes, true. <laughs> but but that's an internal conflict in a kid's movie. That that doesn't work very well. 
Well, it, it gets them knocked off the milk truck. Sorry, so you see I put it's a truck on the rails there? I see, I see. <laughs> they do get knocked off the milk truck, you are correct. Uh, they, they then start walking across a train bridge, which how none of them go, that's not a good idea, I'm not sure. Can I also point out that they were walking on the track, and yet there was this bar underneath the track that they could have just been walking on the whole time instead of walking on the track? Yeah. That would have been yeah. a smart thing to do. <laughs> Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because the train comes. I know you're shocked by this, and uh, they have to jump on that little bar underneath, which, again, this is, this is another problem I had, is they took a lot of animation shortcuts in this movie. So, for example, in this sequence, the train is going by overhead, and basically you see a drawing of the cats huddled together, but they're not moving. The screen is shaking. So basically they just shook the frame to make it look like things were moving. Also, when they, when they start walking, right, the cats, the kittens, right, they say, let's play choo-choo train, but they're not actually moving. They're just, like, staying in this static position and, like, jumping along. Yes. Right? And yeah. So – like, it, like in Cinderella, remember they, they were talking how the reason why the coach in Cinderella floats is not because it's magical and cool, but because they didn't want to pay the money to make the wheels move. There's several places throughout the movie, like the, the everybody wants to be a cat sequence, you know, the backgrounds basically disappear for a large portion of the song. There's little sketchy backgrounds, and then they reuse that same animation of everyone dancing and playing the songs at the very end of the movie. And the opening credits are simply the pencil sketches without backgrounds projected over a rough ba- over a rough like piece of paper, basically. It's- I don't mind the opening credit thing so much because truth truth be known is only since this time period did they start to have uh, animation over the credits. It used to just be static shots. Yeah, and I, I don't I don't necessarily have a problem with the opening credits. It's more along the lines of. All of the, you know, like, there's when you see that, then you see this part where they're just kind of shaking the screen. What you talked about with the cats on the train, the reuse of the animation later, they took shortcuts, which I'm sure was budgetary, like you mentioned. It, it, it kind of detracted a little bit from, from the film itself. We, ha- we have the train sequence, but then Marie, as they are trying to get off of the train bridge, falls into a river, and Thomas has to go in and save her, which he, which he does, but then he's stuck in the river. And meets the, the two geese who come to save him, Amelia and Abigail. And you know what's interesting about them? They they are voiced by Carol Shelley and Monica Evans, who happen to play the Pigeon Sisters in Neil Simon's The Odd Couple, um, all of the TV, Broadway, and film versions. I knew the voices sounded familiar, just couldn't put two or two together. But after I read that, all of a sudden, it clicked. I actually... I actually read that after, but I started putting who they were. And it started to occur to me that that's why they talk so much, because they were not – they were picked because they were the sisters in the in the Odd Couple. Because if you ever remember in the Odd Couple, they – those two, the Pigeon Sisters, talked and talked and talked and talked and talked and never stopped talking. And that's these two geese, right? They talk and talk and yes. talk and direct everything and never stop talking. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm with O'Malley on this because the Duchess and the kittens find them charming, and O'Malley is sort of of the of the idea of uh, stop talking, get out of my face, and let me move on with my life. And and that's how I felt when these two geese were on screen. <laughs> I, I can agree with that. Yeah. I like them trying to teach him how to swim, though, and all he wanted to do was get out of the water. <laughs> Oh, I if know. it had stopped there, that would be funny. Yeah. They make them walk like geese into Paris. Yes. Which Cheryl, if they're gonna make, if they're gonna, if we're gonna be upset that the kittens have to walk, making them walk like geese does not help. Yes, yeah, agreed. Definitely, I definitely agree with that yeah. one. But they walk into Paris to meet the girl's uh, uncle Waldo, yes. Amelia and Abigail's uncle Waldo who says that he has been wronged because they were going to marinate him in white, or I'm sorry, they were going to serve him cooked in a white wine sauce. Uh, but it seems instead that he has been drinking the white wine. I think he was being, you know, sometimes they take the meat and they pre-soak it in whatever they're going to cook it in. I think that's what they were probably doing with him. But don't they normally kill it first? I, don't I think know. they were trying to um, ethically kill it. So in 1910 that, Paris? You never know. 
<laughs> Could be. So that they were trying to get the get the animal drunk first, so they would have a lesser time in fighting it. <laughs> I like it. No, I, goose. I suspect he was already drunk when he got there, and he saw they were serving goose and misunderstood. Ah, uh, I like that. I like that too. I like. Oh, that this is the Twilight Zone episode to serve man. It's a cookbook. It's a cookbook, yes. <laughs> so, so, yes, that is when Uncle Waldo, Abigail, and Amelia fade into the background, never to be seen again, thank goodness. Uh, but then we get uh, O'Malley and Duchess and the kittens meeting Scat Cat, who is played by Scatman Carruthers, and the band, and they, they perform the song Everybody Wants to Be a Cat. Actually, before, my... actually, before that, Edgar goes and battles Napoleon and Lafayette again. I was hoping not to mention that. <laughs> Come on, you gotta have a little bit of southern dogs here. But so okay, I will I will grant you Napoleon and Lafayette are funny. Uh, I I don't. I mean, I like the the whole you know. Uh, I'm the leader. I'll tell you when it's time. You know, I like that. But like, why we needed Edgar going back to get his stuff and more stuff with these two? I don't know. Right. So see, he gets it in his head that the police are looking for a kidnapper. And even if they found his missing stuff in the middle of nowhere, how would they connect it to the cats? I, I don't know, Todd. I can't answer that question. <laughs> I, I, I got nothing, man. Anger <laughs> logic doesn't work. This is what we've learned. No, no. Do not use Edgar logic. Stay in school, kids. It's not even like had they put a, a reward either, because that that would have also been like made more sense. Had they, they, like they seen oh great reward offered for clues, then I could have seen him going out to go get his stuff. Yes, yeah, he just kind of yeah. gets it in his head that they're after. I mean, they are after the kidnapper, but they're not after him. They haven't even like the police haven't even showed up. There are no police in this movie. So after the silliness of Edgar and Napoleon and Lafayette, like we mentioned, uh, we get everybody wants to be a cat with Scatman Carruthers and Paul Winchell and several others performing the song along with O'Malley and Duchess. And this is where Duchess really learns to loosen up and let the cats have some fun. Uh, it's it, it goes on quite a while actually. Uh, this this whole sequence does. Yeah, it's it's long yes. fun. Well, it's like because they kind of sort of they sing the song, then Duchess does her own little harp number, and then they then they they reprise the song afterwards. Right, and then yeah, they go marching into the street singing the song. <laughs> it, it, can I also say that it's also like the most racist? moments in the movie happen during the scene. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's that. Yeah, not kind yeah. to the ki- to the Siamese cat, no. Not no, at all. No, no. Not really, mm-hmm. no. Do you know what the Siamese cat actually says? I'm not sure I want to know, but you're going to tell he me. Says, he says, Shy Hai Kong, Egg Foo Young, Fortune Cookies, Always Wrong. Oh, no. See, it, it that really, wasn't good. Yeah, no, it just really doesn't get more racist no. than that, no. No, probably not. No, no, that wasn't good. Yeah, the song's good. No, it, it's great. I mean, my favorite line in the song is actually "A square with a horn can make you wish you weren't born." Yes. So we have that, and then as the cats leave, is the kind of the the most poignant moment in the film. Now, the, I think this is supposed to be the core conflict of the film, right? Which is Duchess and O'Malley discussing. You know whether or not they sh- she should stay with him or whether she should go home. The problem is this conflict isn't introduced until, and I looked, 18 minutes to go in the movie. Yes. In an hour and hour and a half film, <laughs> it's only 18 minutes to the end when the core conflict is introduced. Yeah. That's generally what we call a problem. I think it reality hits them. I think. Right, but. They should have mentioned it earlier. I think Duchess's reaction was a little bit too quick, too. It, it should have been drawn out a little bit more. It was, oh, I'm sorry, I must leave now, bye. You know, and, yeah. and it, that was basically, it was just, yeah, that's how I felt. Anyway. 
Well, I mean, they have the whole discussion on the rooftop. The kittens are listening in, and O'Malley's basically proposing to her, right? He's saying that the kids need a father. You know, they could stay there with him, all this kind of stuff. And she says, well, but Madame would, would miss us, and we have to go back. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it's good. I mean, this part is good. It's just, like, it's the first time we've had this struggle in the whole movie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But... It's 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 uh, a meaning it's a meaningful conversation, but it's a throwaway at the same time because it it, it right. is only occurs in this scene. Yeah, I think I think if there had been more of this through the movie, it would have been way better. Yes, like okay, now I'm gonna um, pull out a movie that was not a favorite of Ryan's, but it, the moment in the in that movie was the same was better than it is here. Is that in the Pacifier movie, right? Remember when yes. he's putting the kid to sleep, right? And he does the dance for the kid, and the and the kid looks up at him and calls him. Th- th- he says, "Thanks, Daddy." Right? Yes. There, a moment like that would have been really useful in this movie, and it wasn't there. I agree. I agree. But well, even the moment, like e- even in some of the earlier moments where O'Malley goes and saves the kids and everything, you could have tossed in, you know, some of these things. And made it work better. You know, moments like what you're talking about. Like when he saves Marie or, or things like that. You could have tossed in, like, you know, Marie sort of intimating that he's her new daddy or, you know, stuff like that that you could have gotten away with that would have kind of brought the conflict a little more to the forefront. Mm-hmm. But that's just me and my plot heaviness type person stuff. They end up the next morning back at the mansion, and, and like you had said, Bree, the moment where they where she decides to go in is kind of it, it's weird because that should be a really poignant moment too, but it's overshadowed by Rookfort in the inside trying to warn them that Edgar realizes they're back and is going to sabotage them when they come inside. So that frantic you know screaming by Rookfort is going on, and meanwhile we have this moment between O'Malley and Duchess where they're supposed to be saying their you know heartfelt goodbyes, and you're like, which of these am I supposed to focus on, the frantic moment or the quiet moment? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, that's how I felt too. Yeah, it's it's just sort of a bizarre exercise in plotting. I think the whole thing. Yeah. Agree. Uh, and then, so when they when the kittens go back inside, Edgar captures them, uh, throws them in a sack, hides them in an oven while Roquefort runs out to try and get O'Malley to help. And O'Malley goes back to the mansion and sends Roquefort to get Scat Cat in the gang, while Edgar goes into uh, the barn, I guess, or the stable where they keep the horse, and throws the kittens in the, and the cats in a trunk to send them off to Timbuktu. Uh, and then, at that point, we reenact the ending of 101 Dalmatians. The live-action version. <laughs> yeah, yeah, o- o- almost exactly in some points, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really just like a free-for-all between Scat Cat and the gang, Fru-Fru the horse, uh, O'Malley all attacking Edgar while Rookfort gets the kittens free, and, you know, everybody lives happily ever after because Edgar gets locked in the trunk and shipped to Timbuktu. There, there's one moment that's awesome, though, and that's that's the point where, all, where he opens up the door to leave, and all the cats in just this ball of cat mess attack him all at once? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Where Rockford's trying to open the lock, and he's trying to listen to the clicks, and he goes, stop! And they all just, put, he pauses with all these cats in different directions attached to him. Yeah. <laughs> and then they continue. Yeah, it's just a crazy moment because Roquefort, you know, just ag- agrees with everything. You know, everybody does what he says, and he's the smallest person in the room. Uh, it's crazy. But, uh, yeah, like I said, everybody lives happily ever after because the next scene we see is O'Malley uh, getting his picture taken with the family. So he's become part of the family, and then uh, all the all the scat cats and everyone are, are pulled inside as well, and, you know, we're, we're off to the races Everybody together, and for some reason, Napoleon and Lafayette show up again at the end, which I don't understand. Because she made it, she made her mansion like a home for wayward animals or something like that. You know what? It must for wayward cats, cats, not the dogs, man. But the horse was there too, and the geese were there, so you know it was a free for all. Well, that didn't make any sense either. No, (laughs) but um, the end thing was just kind of like 
I I don't get it. You know, I'll no. I'll say when the I'll say it's the end when it's the end or something like that. Whatever he says, I don't know. Not my thing. That, oh, that sounds like the end. It's the end. See, I like that. I don't know. I, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, my my favorite little Roquefort moment happens when when he's chasing the cats, not the other way around, and the guy at the bar looks down and dumps out his wine bottle. Yes, <laughs> that was a great moment. That was a great moment. <laughs> so, um, I wanted to just talk about the character thing because we kind of sort of touched on them before that, but there's a lot of really, really good actors and actresses in this movie. Well, first of all, I want to discuss it. What's really interesting, right, is that you know how we talk about our gateway, our gateway through the '70s for actors and actresses. Do you remember what the three gateway television shows are? From prior discussions, what? right? It, it's Twilight Love Boat, Zone, Love Boat, Fantasy Island, and Love American Style. Almost all oh, these yes. people were on one or more of those, but they were also together on television shows like Bewitched, Green Acres, Petticoat Junction, Beverly Hillbillies, Gilligan's Island, on and on and on. So it's there's a whole. Now, most people don't necessarily realize it, but all those all those shows, uh, but well, specifically. Uh, Green Acres, Petticoat Junction, and Beverly Hillbillies all have a uh, background connection in them, right? It's, they all have characters that they shared that passed back right. and forth between the three shows because they were created by the same creators and they were, you know, that kind of thing. So that's and so they, they all come from that whole um, thing, which is very interesting. Of the three kittens, only one of them, Gary Dubin, goes who played Toulouse or Toulouse. I always say to Louise, but he's a guy, so it's to lose. Uh, he went on to be the main, the kid star who was in Jaws 2. Oh. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So uh, I thought that was interesting. Um, this was Ruth Buzzy's first feature film. That's oh, right. cool. The, okay. the, fam- the famous Ruth Buzzy. Now, she is not actually acting in the movie. She's actually the singing voice for Frufu. Right? Okay. The um, right. the acting voice is Nancy Culp, who was uh, Jane Hathaway on Beverly Hillbillies and Petticoat Junction. We discussed uh, Bill Thompson a little bit, right? We didn't say his name, but he, he played Uncle Waldo, right? He is most mm-hmm. famous, for, he is most famous though, for being Droopy Dog. Okay. Right? I don't know if you do that or not. I did okay. not know that. Yes. Um, I know also, Droopy Dog. Yes, he also died shortly after this film was released. Was also the end of Droopy, Droopy Dog for a long time before they revived him back in the eighties. Um, mm-hmm. He'd been. He also did the voice for Scrooge McDuck. Um, he was uh, Hubert in Sleeping Beauty. He was Jock in Lady and the Tramp, the White Rabbit in Alice in Wonderland, and Mister Smee in Peter Pan. Wow! Right, so he has probably had the most of uh, Disney-related movies. Um, George Lindsay played Lafayette. Okay. Now, mm-hmm. in case you were wondering why he had a southern drawl, now you know why, because he played Goober Pyle, Gomer Pyle's brother. Oh. Okay. okay. And who was also in part, who lived in Mayberry and on and on and on, so part of Andy Griffith's show, so there's, there's a lot of, you know, Mayberry going on with all these characters, too, just so you know. A lot of them come from Wonderful World of Color as well. That was their start into the Disney um, acting, and then they kind of branch into the movies from there. Uh, he also was uh, Trigger in Robin Hood. Paul Buttram, who played Napoleon, um, who, who did he play in um, Fox and the Hound, Cheryl? Chief. Chief, okay. Uh, he was also the Sheriff of Nottingham in Robin Hood. Uh, also, as you know, the, the uh, third main character uh, on Green Acres Right and Petticoat, and he also from Petticoat Junction originally, uh, and he was one of the bullets uh, in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Remember, he had the talk, he had the bullets that would talk and stop and do things. He's right. one of the two bullets. Just thought that would modern movie. So I thought that'd be fun to mention. So uh, Vito Scotti, who plays Peppo, who is the Italian cat with the concertina. Yes. Okay. Uh, he was in Herbie Goes Bananas and Herbie Rides Again. Uh, he was in two episodes of Zorro, so I wrote that down because I thought you'd appreciate that, Ryan. Yeah. Okay. That's, and, that's the real thing. 
Yeah, and he was he too was in tons of classic shows, uh, Adam's Family, Gilligan's Island, and The Monsters, and stuff, and that sort of sh- those short, sorts of shows. Billy Bass, who's the bass playing cat, the bass playing cat. It's Billy Bass. I'm sorry, Billy Bass, who's the ba- bass playing cat. Uh, Thurl Ravenscroft. I don't think to the Disney community we necessarily need to go into who he is. Everybody kind of sort of gets it. You would hope so. I hope so. Yes. Uh, there's a uh, Lord Tim Hudson who didn't play very much. But he was Hit Cat. He's the one that had the John Lennon glasses on and the beads around yes, his neck. Okay. okay. Uh, he was one of the vultures from Jungle Book. No. Oh. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. Uh, Paul Winchell, who played Shugan, who was a Siamese uh, cat who I mentioned earlier, uh, also okay. was the voice for Tigger and Boomer in Fox and the Hound. Okay. Also no- well known for being Dick Dastardly, Gargamel, and Woofer from Clue Club. As we mentioned earlier, uh, Scat, Scatman Crothers is Scat Cat, okay, but what is uh, Scatman Crothers' most famous role? He's Hong Kong Fooey. He also strangely has a penchant for playing the animated Globetrotters. I never understood that, but it's in his, 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 his animation history. The character was not designed to be played by Scatman Crothers. It was actually designed to be played by Louis Armstrong, which is why he's, you know, large and has the cheeks and has a... A horn. When Louis Armstrong pulled out at the last minute, so they brought Crothers in, and he was directed to pretend he's Satchmo. Now, Satchmo is Armstrong's nickname. It's not meant to be derogatory. It was actually a nickname that he liked and told his friends to use all the time. Roquefort was obviously Sterling Holloway, right, who was Winnie the Pooh and Cod, Cheshire Cat, and uh, the narrator for Susie, the Little Blue Coop, who's just a... I I mentioned that because that's another short that Brian and I talked about early on before we started all this. Oh, yeah. So... Um, I, and like you said, uh, you know, back to the whole thing. You know, the main characters are Phil Harris and Ava Gabor. Uh, Th- Thomas was Baloo and Little John, right in uh, Jungle Book and Robin Hood. Uh, Ava Gabor was Duchess in Green Acres. Uh, she was also in Petticoat Junction. She, uh, Duchess. She was in Green Acres, Petticoat Junction, and she was also Miss Bianca in both Rescuers movies. One guy is Charles Lane, who plays the lawyer, whose name is George Hartcourt. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is actually, his most famous uh, live action role is actually as the judge during the trial in the, um, in the um, television show Soap. Remember when they had the big trial that lasts like, like 12 episodes of the show or something like that? That's, he plays the judge. Um, and then, like I said earlier, Hermione Baddeley, who plays Madame or Adelaide Bonfamille, is Mrs. Worth and Happiest Millionaire, Ellen in Mary Poppins, and she's also played many episodes as Nell Nogatuck in the TV show Maud. And I understand Cheryl mentioned earlier she had a Star Wars connection. Yes. Uh-oh. Peter Renaday, who was the was the cook that was going to cook the goose and also the milkman, uncredited, does... A voice in the Star Wars old public video game. He's done Batman Brave and the Bold as Abraham Lincoln and Uncle Sam. He's done the Marvel Superhero Squad online game. He was in Mulan, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Star Wars X-Wing vs. TIE Fighter video game, the Iron Man TV series, Animaniac, <laughs> Tailspin, DuckTales. Oh, I love DuckTales. The, the Black Cauldron. He's also in the Apple Dumpling Gang Rides Again, the Shaggy DA as well, and the Computer Worn Tennis Shoes. Oh. Wow. So, I hear we may be watching that movie soon. Yay. Ooh, I'm intrigued. <laughs> Me too. So I thought that I thought that was pretty interesting that he was he he was uncredited he's been uncredited most of his for some of these voice voice actor voice his some of his voices but kind of cool that he was in that he was our Star Wars connection. All right, so we have lots of famous actors and uh, lots of famous animators making the Aristocats, but how did it turn out? Let's see what everyone thought. Uh, Bree, your thoughts. So this was the first time that I had seen the Aristocats. Um, so I wasn't sure what I was going to be getting myself into because I remember being younger and flipping on the Disney Channel and seeing the scene where they were all singing Everybody Wants to Be a Cat. And I thought, oh, my goodness, that's cheesy. Um, but that was at the time, you know, and I 
wasn't putting two and two together because I hadn't seen the rest of the film. But so seeing it, I actually watched it this afternoon for the first time. I really enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to seeing it again. I think the music is awesome, and I love the voices that go along with the cats and everybody. So I'm going to give this one three and a half stars. All right. Cheryl, what did you think? Well, I thought, um, as I mentioned before, that I kind of was upset that some of the plots didn't go exactly the way that I, you know, that I would, after watching this after so long, I was like kind of disappointing the plots didn't go in other directions, but when the direction they were supposed to go in, of course, you know. Um, yeah. But I, I also give this a three and a half. I think, I think it's very well done for its age. I think, you know, given the, given the story and given what was being done back then, it, it, it's, it fits right in there. All right. Mr. Perlmutter, what would you think? Um, not, I, so I really like the music because it's catchy, but I could listen to the music and not really miss the rest of the movie in general. It's not. It's just not a mm-hmm. favorite movie. I'm not. Not a lot. Not a lot occurs in the movie when you really think about it. You know, yeah. there's, there's, and and like I said, it has that very distracting uh, thing with Edgar that they keep going back to with the dogs. That really has nothing to do with the other characters who are the main characters. So I give it a two and a half stars. Yeah, I I, I agree with you, sir. I could listen to the songs. I don't need to watch the movie again. It's not that it's necessarily a bad film, and I think the animation's okay. I, I would have to say, as a story person, somebody who really loves story and characters, this one didn't offer a whole lot for me. So I have to say I would go with the two on this one. Um, it's not, it's just not my cup of tea. Not not something I want to I want to revisit. So until next week, you can keep in touch with us. You can let us know what you think of this show. Go over to DisneyFilmProject.com, and you can leave a comment on the show notes there. You can tweet us at DizFilmProject, or you can go over to Facebook and search for Disney Film Project and let us know what you think of the show there. You can keep in touch with all of us on our various and sundry blogging platforms. You can check out Todd and myself over at TouringPlans.com. Check out Bree's Attractions blogs, my film blogs, and Todd's chief technical wizardry over at DisneyDrivenLife.com. And you can keep up with Cheryl's travails trying to keep this podcast together at about.me slash Cheryl P3. And also, don't forget to check out Magic 24.7. Listen to the box office report sponsored by us here at Disney Film Project. So go over to magic247radio.com and listen to that show so you can check out the box office report. So until next week, folks, keep it watching the movies. Somebody stole my bumper shoot. Ladies don't start fights, but they can finish them. You're not going to believe this, but it's a one-wheeled haystack. I'm the leader. I'll say when it's the end. It's the end. <laughs> <laughs>